Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, November the 27th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we break down the all 22 from Sunday's loss in Cleveland. It's crossover Wednesday with Locked On Eagles and... I add up the next two years worth of quarterback prospects to my top five list going back to 2017. And I'll tell you my theory on why I think Jadavian Clowney could be a Miami Dolphin next season. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins, and you can find our written content up on LockedOnDolphins.com. That's another Miami Dolphins. We start with some news items today, and it sounds like Jakeem Grant's season could be coming to an end. Nothing official just yet, but he does have a high ankle sprain, something I don't think he gets back from in the next five weeks, or at the very least, something I don't think the Dolphins will push him to get back for a late season run against the Bengals and Patriots in irrelevant games. Also, Albert Wilson was injured in the game on Sunday. This could be the end of both those guys in Miami. I think Grant has a much better chance of sticking around with his contract if they decide to pick up the three-year option out the extension he signed this offseason. Albert Wilson can be cut for almost no dead money with an $8 million savings on that. I imagine they will exercise that. But now, I want to theorize something for you guys about a player that is not a Dolphin, was almost a Dolphin, said he didn't want to be a Dolphin, but could still be a Dolphin. Are you still with me? Jadavian Clowney took a meeting back in August to meet with Brian Flores and the Dolphins brass, but eventually wound up saying that he didn't want to play in Miami. So why take the meeting? Here's my theory. He gets there, loves Coach Flores, loves the Miami Dolphins, loves the defensive scheme, and how wouldn't he? There isn't a position that suits another player in this league better than the multiple three-tech, five-tech, seven-tech combination working on this scheme, on this defensive line that would make Jadavian Clowney a 90% snap taker here in Miami. Plus, It is Miami, not the worst place in the world to be. And when they have a quarterback next year and all those free agents and draft picks, things look a lot more attractive to free agents next season. So here's where my theory comes in. They agreed that the fit is good, but the timing is not. Whether this was Clowney or the Dolphins or a mutual thought, my thought is that they said, why cost the Dolphins a draft pick to make this happen in a year where they don't want to lose draft picks and they don't want a bunch of wins anyway? And why waste a year of Jadavian Clowney's prime? Instead, let him go chase a ring in Seattle and then we'll get you paid next offseason, provided that you stay healthy. And that's why I think Miami circles back on the Clowney idea this offseason because we've seen them chase he and Trey Flowers. It's the biggest weakness in Miami's 150 rushing yards allowed per game run defense. That strong, dominant edge, which is not what Chase Young does best, by the way. Flowers and Clowney were number two and number three in defensive end run defense last year on ProFootballFocus.com. That is where they specialize. That is what the Dolphins need at defensive end. Makes a lot of sense. You know, it doesn't make much sense to me. Miami's offensive showing on Sunday. And with that, let's pivot now into the offensive all 22. And my goodness, was it offensive? The lack of execution 
is a little bit easier for me to take, to be perfectly honest, because a lot of these players won't be here. The coaching staff will be here. And they made so many mistakes, mislocated balls, Fitzpatrick not recognizing the post-snap rotation, the offensive line just playing like straight trash again, as it has all season long, drop passes leading to interceptions, Bad, bad, bad football. Let's go ahead and start now with the positive and go right back to Devontae Parker. This dude just gets it this year. He's a different player this year. He's a crisp route runner that knows his landmarks, the footwork and the timing of his routes. And he's starting to think like a quarterback too. There's a play where he sets a little 10-yard dig route down into a soft spot in the zone. Fitzpatrick throws it off the back shoulder to make sure he doesn't get ran into contact. And Parker very effortlessly leaps, twists and hauls the thing in behind his shoulder and proceeds to run through two tackles there. Then there's another route later in the game where he draws press man coverage as the one, the furthest receiver out in the formation. He has to win back across the face on a square in, which is his best route. You push up field, you break it off three yards inside and even that thing out parallel to your quarterback. And he has to sell the takeoff on that route, which he does with a hard stab upfield. It locks the corner's hips. And then Parker crosses face with three or four yards of separation. That is not easy to do on a two or three yard route. Mike Gasicki is my next positive. He has improved so much in the two critical areas that I highlighted for him this offseason, release and contact balance. There's a reception where he has to affect the defensive end, and he does because the DN swims over Gasecki, and then he has to widen the linebacker before he can cross face, which again, he does, and the linebacker doesn't let him do it without grabbing him and getting physical, but Gasecki fights through the contact, and his touchdown was also a very nice route, absorbing contact on a hit, an impressive big target that should be a touchdown maker in the red zone going forward. It's kind of hard to believe that was his first touchdown, but hopefully the seal has been broken and he can get some more Sixers this season and beyond. I also liked Michael Dieter's game in this one. Still not doing a whole lot as a run blocker, but then again, nobody is on this offensive line. But he did have some moments in that area, but he also played really well in pass protection. I thought that he and Daniel Kilgore were the only ones to have a good day in pass pro, and that's where we turn to the negatives. Jesse Davis at right tackle is really really struggling. He's not as bad as Julian Davenport. And it's actually funny because I made a thread last year before that Thursday night game in Houston about how they had a player who really was just Dallas Thomas in disguise because now he's here challenging Dallas Thomas as the worst offensive lineman in team history. It is so, 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 so bad. I thought Shaq Calhoun was pretty terrible in this game as well. And so was Kalen Balaj. My goodness, the lack of vision he exhibits is really mind-numbing. Even when it's blocked up, he's late to see it. And by the time he does see it, he's not quick enough laterally to hit it. He's got to be one and done here. That's not really a surprise, I don't think, for most of you guys. Durham Smythe is working in the wrong direction, in my opinion. Not been great as a run blocker. And he offers almost nothing as a pass receiver, which was the same story at Notre Dame. They gave him a shot on a third down pass play. He didn't read the leverage correctly and wound up in the wrong spot. It went incomplete. Dolphins had to punt. That's a bad look. They didn't go back to him the rest of the game. I really like Alan Hearns' ability to uncover in tight spaces. There was a really good example of that on the All-22 thread where he sells a takeoff route and locks the hips of Denzel Ward and frees himself up on a drag route. He's pretty good in those tight spaces, hence the extension to be a slot receiver. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick, the quarterback, to wrap it all up. He had a bad game. He missed some reads in this game, felt some phantom pressure. The one misread I posted on my timeline on Twitter on the All-22 breakdown thread was an available turkey hole shot against cover two, and it was disguised pre-snap as cover one, but then they rotate post-snap, and he had a chance to get Devontae Parker on an outside release in the turkey hole, but he didn't take it. But I'm not so sure I blame him for these shortcomings with phantom pressure because this offensive line has just been so so bad this year. We'll come back on the other side of the podcast and do the defense. We'll get to crossover Wednesday, and I'm going to add this year and next year's quarterback prospects to my overall quarterback prospect rankings of the last three years. All of that and more, but first, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Remember the days when you were ready to go full of excitement and anticipation for what might come next, well, you can get back to those days and increase your performance and get that extra confidence when it comes to the bedroom with Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package, so no more awkwardness involved in the entire situation. Take them whenever you want, in the morning, day, or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever your number is called. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It's like they've never been here before. Everybody's got a shot now. It's probably safe to say at this point that Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are elite quarterbacks, right? And I think Kyler Murray is pretty much on the fast track to being one of those guys as well. And I do believe that Baker Mayfield struggles are behind him. But why the hell am I telling you this on a Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network? Well, because those guys all have something in common for me personally. And I've been grading quarterbacks for a long time. My 2012 rankings, for instance, when Andrew Luck, Ryan Tannehill... Russell Wilson, Robert Griffin III. Not great, but not bad. But the point is, I've been doing it with resources the last three years, and that's why I go that far back. I did watch every single snap of every single quarterback in 2016 when I built the website 3rd10.com that eventually got me this job with Locked On Dolphins, and I told Raiders fans that Derek Carr's season was a bit of a farce that year. I told Giants and Ravens fans that Eli and Flacco were beyond cooked back in 2016. I told Titans fans that Mariota was garbage. I told Broncos fans that Trevor Simeon doesn't belong in the league, and I told Dolphins fans that Ryan Tannehill is capable of playing like a top 12 quarterback in this league. Now, I did say Jared Goff was going to be a monumental bust, and that looked bad for a while, but now, eh, maybe, a little bit. And good thing the cutoff stops there because I loved, loved Jameis Winston in 2015. But again, that was before I broke down all 22 tape. Why am I telling you this? We get it, Travis. You think your quarterback evaluations are pristine, Yeah, but I'm also telling you because I can now use that in a way that creates clarity going forward for the Dolphins at the position and my top four quarterbacks going back to the 2017 draft when I started doing this in depth 
are this. Number one was Kyler Murray. You guys knew I felt that way about him all through the last offseason. Number two was Patrick Mahomes. I would bet on Texas Tech games because I knew that Mahomes always kept me in those games. Number three, Baker Mayfield. And number four was Lamar Jackson. And five was probably Josh Allen. I missed out on Deshaun Watson. Flat out whiffed that one. I didn't like him in college. I thought there was inherent mechanical issues that led to unfixable accuracy. But that was dumb. That was a dumb decision. My worst of the last few years. So finally, to the point where the quarterbacks of the next two drafts fall in that grouping for me, I've got three guys I'm adding, giving me a top seven from the 2020 class and 2021 class. And it goes like this. Number one is still Kyler Murray for me. That's not going to change. I think the world of his arm and skill and athleticism combination, it's so rare. Number one still. Number two, Tua Tungavailoa. Even with the injury, if he's healthy, I have Tua as the number two quarterback. His processing and accuracy is elite. Number three was Patrick Mahomes because you kind of had to rein some of that backyard mentality in. So I wasn't fully ready to go all in on the idea, but still he was number one before Kyler and Tua got here. So I still liked him a lot, obviously. Then number four is where Trevor Lawrence comes in and he's regressed this year, no doubt about that. But he still is a beautiful, beautiful, long-haired, big, strong arm quarterback that can really make things happen. I think he'll have a fantastic career and he could really, really, really jump up this list in the next season. And so could Justin Fields, who's my number five quarterback on this list. I thought highly of him early on, more so than I did Lamar Jackson. I thought Lamar should have been a first overall draft pick when he was a sophomore at Louisville. He had a bit of a down year his junior year, but still, I feel the same way about Justin Fields. So he comes in number five. Baker Mayfield slots in at number six behind that, and Lamar Jackson was number seven, and I can't move him up because there's no hindsight here. This is talking about where they were coming out of college. Can't go back and fix that. Doesn't work that way. The bottom line is this. I feel really good about Tua, Lawrence, and Fields, three quarterbacks that are going to be out in the next two years, and the Dolphins have a great chance, in my opinion, with those three guys to get themselves into this elite quarterback range where all these other teams were watching, the Chiefs, the Ravens, get to experience this year, the Texans and hopefully Miami with one of those three guys can join that group as early as 2020 or maybe even 2021. You know what I don't feel as good about? Miami's defensive effort on Sunday and now we'll spin it forward and talk about the Dolphins all 22 breakdown on the defensive side of the ball and the term breakdown is fitting because on Sunday there were plenty of breakdowns on the Dolphins defense. As we transition now into the all 22 review from the defensive side of the ball and we'll kind of breeze through this thing because Really, frankly, there wasn't a whole lot to write home about. In the secondary, pretty much everybody struggled. And Nick Needham, mainly, the guy who we're really focusing on the rest of the way, to find out if he can be CB2 next year behind Xavier Howard and hopefully in front of Bobby McCain as a slot cornerback where he goes back to his original position. But he struggled with the nuance of the routes of Beckham and Landry, particularly at the top of the stem. But that's okay because as long as he learns from that, and apply those lessons going forward, which from him, that's all we've seen so far, then this all kind of goes down as just a long-term addition. One of the added benefits of this season is the ability for on-the-job training, and Nick Needham is getting that so far through these games and through this coaching staff, and now playing receivers like Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, who really challenged him for the first time in a few weeks. Steven Parker, I thought, was consistently a step late to the ball on his job on Sunday, and that included Jarvis Landry's first touchdown of the game. There was a great video of it, or my video of it, I should say, up on the Twitter 
Twitter timeline where I show you that he has to recognize Odell Beckham's move to the flag to the corner and step in front of Jarvis Landry's slant. He's just a beat late to do it, and it goes for a touchdown because of that. And that was kind of the case throughout the day with Stephen Parker, just a beat late on things. And that's kind of the entire story of the secondary. As far as Adrian Colbert, the newcomer comes, he didn't make much of an impact in this game, which I think should be expected because he did just get here six days prior to that game. Ken Crawley had some moments, especially one where he split a block and got a tackle on the screen along with Vince Beagle. But in coverage, he struggled there as well. And the same was true of Jamal Wiltz, who continues to tackle like an absolute beast. And the way he disrupts blocks off the edge is very important for this defense, but his coverage is still not there yet. He got turned around by Jarvis Landry a couple of times that really looked bad for him. And that holding call on him on that first or second drive, I think it was, it, it, it was definitely a hold. He grabbed the hip and turned Landry. So don't get mad about that if you have already. And I just don't see this passing defense really stopping anything the rest of the way because they're, they're so shorthanded. And however you felt about Bobby McCain as a safety, the fact that he was back there did so much for this defense with communication and experience and having a sure guy back in that end. Well, now they don't have that. They don't have Xavier Howard. They just are so thin in the secondary. I don't see how they get better from here. And the linebacker play in this game was even worse than the secondary. And I know a lot of you folks probably don't want to hear this. I don't either. But Jerome Baker, to me, is a pretty big concern in this scheme. He's just not suited to play in a stack position off the ball behind a defensive lineman. He's not big enough to play off the edge as a consistent edge setter and run stuffer. And his blitzing hasn't been great this year either. There's a play where he he times up the A-gap perfectly and comes in hot on a blitz. But a tiny little shove from the left guard puts him straight into the ground. You can't make plays on the ground. He's there a little bit too often. And he also gets caught up in the wash and doesn't do well to keep himself clean against the running game. And the story was true for Raekwon McMillan in this game too, just as it was for Jerome Baker, which is surprising considering that his strength is taking on blocks and getting to the run game. I think this was his worst game of the year, and you wonder how much of that had to do with the injury that he had coming into the game. So I won't give him too much for this responsibility or too much responsibility in this game for McMillan. But up front, I thought that's where the Dolphins played very well, and they had a lot of wins up front, especially from Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins. And Wilkins is really, really coming along. I mentioned the three quarterback pressures and four run stops. A lot of that is him just winning one-on-one matchups and really being too much, too overwhelming for the guy across from him. And he was winning in a variety of ways, whether it was the quick one gap penetration we saw from him at Clemson. And there was a good example of that where the right tackle beats him off the snap, totally false starts. They don't call it. So Wilkins is late and he still stabs him with the right hand, the inside hand, uses the left hand, his off hand to swim underneath it or dip underneath it and get back in the right position to make a play. He gets through that block and makes a tackle, and he did it several times as a two-gapper as well, where he throws the hands, stands the dude up, knocks him off balance, disengages, and makes a tackle. People are talking crap about Christian Wilkins, but make sure you know your source of knowledge when it comes to his play, because right now, he's playing pretty good. And Devon Godshaw, the story is the same with him. I love watching him play. He knows this. I've told him this. He's referred to my work before in the past. He is a big fan of the podcast and of the content on Twitter. But Devon, he's getting better in the regard that he's playing more positions. And I thought that was super impressive on Sunday, how he lines up out wide as a four-eye technique that's off the inside shoulder of the left tackle. And he did a job out there against the run. We know he can do it as a two technique, as a two-eye, as a nose. He even had a rep where he got a half of a sack 
on uh, paired up with Charles Harris on a sack, I should say, where he plays over the nose in a sub-package pass rush situation on third and nine pass rush situation. Say that five times fast. But he gets into the backfield that way, and I'm really impressed by how far he's come. I think he and Devontae Parker are two guys you have to extend this offseason. John Jenkins continues to show you how country strong he is, holding the point of attack. He has a future here. And Charles Harris, three games in a row now, has made plays. His bull rush, where he overcommits the right tackle to a two, two vertical of a set, I should say, and then cuts back underneath and bull rushes him along with Vince Beagle and Devon Godshaw on the interior. Harris is having a nice three-week stretch here since he got reduced in his snap count. I think the structure of the defense was mostly solid. There were some plays where the Dolphins' defense did win because they trailed and funneled into help. That's been the case all along, but they are just short on bodies back there. But still, the structure of the defense is solid. And so is the structure of my bookie, where you guys right now... Whether you're a past, present, or future MyBookie player, for this week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears and Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250, and if you win, well, congratulations because you've got extra holiday spending money, and if you lose, congrats as well. MyBookie will give you all your money right back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come and play, so quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDON, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat. That's a guaranteed deposit match and risk-free bet for this week only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. Make sure you do your part to support your fins this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie where you play, you win, you get paid. It is one day before the best holiday in America, on the planet possibly. Food, football, family, alcohol, you cannot beat Thanksgiving. Make sure you get yourself some action on the games with my bookie. But now, let's go ahead and transition to next week, week 13. We are on to Philadelphia and Crossover Wednesday here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And joining the podcast now is the host of Locked On Eagles. And we had a bit of a laugh off air because as Dolphins fans, this game... We want to lose it for the most part. That's kind of the idea of this season, getting better draft position. But it's a very, very important game for the road team. So we welcome in the host of Locked On Eagles here on the Locked On Podcast Network. He is Gino Camilleri. I told you I'd butcher it, Gino. Uh, (laughs) Welcome into the show, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, Travis, it's uh, been a long time coming. Been following you and your work at uh, for the Miami uh, Locked On Dolphins, rather, for quite some time, and you put out some good information. You did have uh, quite the take on my boy at Oregon, Justin Herbert, the other day. I almost had to respond to you about <laughs> that, but I don't like to get in too many debates on Twitter, but we can have a discussion for that the other uh, another day. But I'm right there with you. I, I do not like the Bills, and I'm sure many Dolphins fans don't either. So I'm on your side many of these games, but this coming Sunday... I might actually have to be on the Dolphins' side because I may want them to miss the playoffs to get a better draft pick. Listen to that. this is a game that we need. Listen to that. That's crazy. That's kind of where we are in 2019 in the NFL. Almost said 2020. Mm -hmm. Tells you where my mind's at as far as football goes. This year is already over to me. I've moved on. But, you know, the funny thing about Gino and his his co-host, Louis, they're both from Buffalo, so they 
equally hate the Bills just like all of us do, even though the Bills are in the midst of an 8-3 and three season right now. That's neither here nor there. Let's talk some Paper Eagles tigers. real quick, Gino. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's talk some Eagles real quick because Carson Wentz, I, I bragged on this podcast earlier about some of my quarterback acumen. It's funny you bring up Justin Herbert. We'll, we'll like you said, we'll take that off air for another day. But <laughs> one of the things that I, I started with quarterbacks was 2016. I really went in on the film and I, I was not satisfied with what I saw from Carson Wentz. And then in 2017, I thought he was, if not the best quarterback in the league, one of them. So just kind of give me a diatribe. What the hell's going on with Carson Wentz? Like the extension that fans are mad about that, the injuries, the fact that he maybe hasn't had that franchise quarterback, you know, signature moment. Like give me where you're coming from and how that might differ from the fan base with regards to Carson Wentz. Yeah, that's funny that you said you you looked at 2016, you didn't like what you saw in 2017, you thought he made a lot of improvements. And that's the great thing about this day and age is we have this vast amount of information we can bring in in such a quick amount of time. And you look on Twitter this day and age, and it's very reactionary and revisionist history-ish. But if you take the context from what Carson had in 2016, 2017, 18, and 19, it varies in many different regards. But let's look at 2019. There's been very good Carson, and there's been some very, very bad Carson. And that's the thing about Carson Wentz, is that in times when nobody else is doing anything, he tries to do it all. And he gets into trouble, and you could see it, and it's one of these running jokes we have on Eagles Twitter. It's like, oh, here comes a Carson Wentz interception, because if they get down early and they need a big comeback and they're down maybe three touchdowns, Wentz throws an interception nine times out of ten because he tries to force the ball. But the thing with him forcing the ball this season is because he has to. It's not out of need. It's out of necessity. Outside of Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, and Miles Sanders, who are two tight ends and a running back, he's gotten vastly no help from his wide receiver position. Up until two weeks ago or up until the Patriots game last week was just the worst Carson Wentz I've ever seen. Wentz had them in every single game that they were in outside of Dallas and Minnesota. That that was on the defense. That was on Carson. We'll get into that on Lockdown Eagles. You can go subscribe to that. We already did touch on those. But in the games where he was kind of up and down, you, you see when wide receivers struggle to separate and when they struggle to have a downfield element. And you saw that in 17 when they had a guy who wasn't even a very good wide receiver and Torrey Smith still had went one very unique skill set. And that's the ability to get down the field coupled with the addition of Frank Reich and John D. Filippo in the off season, who were two of the offensive masterminds behind that 2017 run. John D. Filippo really came in and made Carson Wentz the quarterback that he was with his mechanics come two years later. We talk about everything in context. He now has a coordinator who was fired by his dad at the university of Virginia, who runs a very <laughs> basic offense. You have Doug Peterson, who is so up and down in his play calling. You were out your right tackle, your right guard, your running back number one, and three wide receivers last week. Not many quarterbacks are going to produce with that type of talent around them. And Carson Wentz tried to force the ball, and he's done that time and time again. I have seen enough out of Carson to know what I know about him, and he's a franchise quarterback. I, I can't believe that we sat through the years of Kevin Cobb and <laughs> we saw Mike Kafka for a little yeah. bit and just these names that are not even in the NFL anymore. And now we have a guy like Carson who's getting this Donovan McNabb-esque treatment and being ridiculed for every little thing that he does. But in reality, Carson Wentz 
his adjusted completion percentage this year would put him top 10 in the league if his wide receivers came down with these balls. In Atlanta and Detroit, he was let down by his wide receivers on two sure touchdown catches. In the Patriots game, he put a ball up to Nelson Aguilar that was one of the greatest throws I've seen Carson Wentz throw in a quite a long time, and it was dropped. And they should have been playing for overtime with an 8-2 and two record. This season has just gone off the rails for so many reasons. Do I blame Carson? A little bit. Do I blame the guys around him who haven't stepped up and made plays when they've needed to? I blame them a lot more than I blame Carson Wentz. When you look around the league and you're seeing guys like Debo Samuel make the catch he made last week or in Miami, Preston Williams and Devontae Parker having rejuvenated seasons with Fitz Magic up until um, William, or Preston Williams got hurt, we're not getting these plays from wide receivers that are like, oh man, this is a, a catch he shouldn't have made. We haven't had one of those until garbage time with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside last week against the Seahawks. So a lot of it is on the game plan. A lot of it is on the coaching. A lot of it is on the playmakers around him. But ultimately, Carson has not been himself. Yeah, and I think context is super important when it comes to anything with football because a lot of the the Eagles accounts that I follow, and for some reason I follow a bunch of you guys. I don't know how that happened, but you have so many good guys producing good content for you, and they all they're all on the same page that Carson Wentz has been not getting the help that he deserves. And I tend to agree with that. You made two points. I want to circle back on here before we get to our final point. Uh, Gino, and that's when I operated my website called thirdand10.com where I evaluated quarterbacks, created my own grading system. In 2017, the thing that I did the most was I evaluated their third down performances and Carson Wentz destroyed, not just beat, annihilated the field on third down passing because he was so special going off script and making, you know, improvisational, jeez, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Impro- improvisation. <laughs> yeah, <thank laughs> Making plays like that. It was so much fun to watch. And the second thing I wanted to dovetail off of here, which is my last question I really have for you, besides a prediction for this game, was the offensive line. Because I think that there is one guy in particular that I've heard kind of, he, his name's been thrown out there, at least among Dolphins fans, and you can go ahead and squash this if you want, as a possible trade candidate. And that's Lane Johnson, the right tackle, who frankly should have been a Dolphin back on draft day in 2013 to begin with. We took Deion Jordan, but we'll go ahead and just forget that ever existed. So I want to know about Lane Johnson, the offensive line, and also this crazy Brandon Brooks story that I just heard about. And as someone that is very close to mental health, you know, disabilities within my own family, I took a, I took a lot from what he said about the situation on Sunday and the anxiety and the panic attack that he had that is really picked up by nauseating, vomiting symptoms every single Sunday that he has to go through that. So tell me about Lane Johnson. Tell me about Brandon Brooks and the future of the Eagles offensive line. Well, one thing I can say is that if there is ever going to be a staple on the face of the Eagles offensive line, it is going to be the right side. And I don't see Lane Johnson going anywhere and they just inked Brandon Brooks to an extension through 2024. And the reason being is that if you look at the splits with Lane Johnson in the lineup versus out of the lineup, they can't move the football when he's Mm -hmm. not there. They they had to change their entire game plan the last two weeks when Lane Johnson wasn't in the game. It just is a debilitating factor for them to have. And then we were already out Lane. We throw a guy in Andre Dillard who is a rookie left tackle. At right tackle. That's that's like <laughs> learning to read Chinese in a day. It's yeah. it's insane. And Brandon Brooks, uh, this is so much bigger than football, what he does. Yeah. And uh, it affects a lot of people. Me, my my fiance, we both have very severe anxiety. And it, it's a real thing. If you've never been through it and 
understood it. And Brandon Brooks has been very vocal about this, saying that he he said every Sunday he wakes up, vomits, goes and plays a football. Crazy. Game. It's crazy, that, that story. That is something that many people will never have to understand. And to perform on a level where you're getting people on Twitter and media and everybody else saying, oh, you should be playing better and blah, 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 blah. Even though Brandon Brooks is Superman to me, he's coming off an Achilles tear and is playing some of the best ball within a calendar year of tearing arguably your most fragile ligament in your body. And he's playing at an all pro level and he still has to deal with factors outside of football. And when you're going on Twitter and and bashing people, just remember that that there is a, a side outside of him putting on your favorite team's jersey. He is a person underneath it all, and I think that's the one thing that Brandon Brooks has done an excellent job at being vocal about, and I think the team is 100% behind him, especially Jeffrey Lurie. His son has autism, so there are a lot of disabilities that this uh, this team supports, and mental health and autism with Lurie's foundation have been at the top of it for the longest time, and hats off to Brandon Brooks for staying strong, and it's somebody you don't ever want to see leave Philadelphia. I said he should never wear another jersey. And thankfully, fingers crossed, he won't, at least through 2024. Well, I guess the Dolphins will just have to go elsewhere to find their offensive line for next season because I still believe they have five holes to fix on that offensive line. Again, we're out of time now, Gino, so I can't get to your prediction, but he is Gino Camilleri at Gino underscore L-O-E. You guys can find his work on Locked On Eagles. But as for our time today on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, that is going to be it. We'll have a Thursday show for you guys. You can check it out on Thursday or Friday. I don't care. We're taking Friday off, the Black Friday after Thanksgiving. So check out the preview show tomorrow. As for today's show, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL, the show at Locked On Fins, and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday. Enjoy your Thanksgiving back on Thursday for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Taking a break to leave the storm.